0: We'll keep you posted about what's happening next. And finally, please subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to like and share these recordings with your friends because it matters what you think.
1: So uh, this afternoon's talk is From Vices to Virtues to Gifts, Thomas and Dante, on sanctification, becoming saints. Dante arrives on the outskirts of the earthly paradise in Purgatorio. And this is at Canto 25 and beginning beginning at line uh, 109. And at that point, Virgil addresses him When all the stair was sped up beneath us and we were on the topmost step, Virgil fixed his eyes on me and said, the temporal fire and the eternal you have seen, temporal fire purgatorial, the eternal fire infernal. You have seen my son and are come to a part where I of myself discern no farther onward. I have brought you here with understanding and with art. Take henceforth your own pleasure for your guide. Forth you are from the steep ways, forth from the narrow. See the sun that shines on your brow, see the tender grass, the flowers, the shrubs, which here the earth of itself alone produces, till the beautiful eyes come rejoicing which weeping made me come to you, you may sit or go among them. No longer expect word or sign from me. Free, upright, and whole is your will. And it would be wrong not to act according to its pleasure. Wherefore, I crown and miter you over yourself. This passage from the end of Canto 27 speaks to the state in which Dante finds himself right here on the the very precipice, the very verge of the entry into the earthly paradise. He's had the seven sins eradicated from his brow that were drawn there by the angel at the door of purgatory. And now, Virgil is willing to admit that he cannot take him any further. He can't lead him any further because he's entering into a region that Virgil doesn't know of himself. In this sense, we see uh, an end, in a certain way of speaking, of uh, Virgil's ability to, to guide Dante and end that Dante has come to. If we want to see the, the kind of scope of this progress, we need to, to look first uh, back at his first encounter with Virgil, way back in the Darkwood. And it's interesting to note here that the earthly paradise is a dense and green garden Whereas the place where Dante started off was the dark wood. We contrast with Dante in this dark wood in Cantos 1 and 2 of The Inferno. He's lost, confused, distracted, unable to find a way. He's prevented from his ascent of the mountain that he sees there by a she wolf. He's prevented by that is sent by three wild beasts, actually. They, not just the she-wolf, but first he encounters a leopard, then he encounters a lion, then he encounters the she-wolf. They, uh, the, these three words, leopard, lion, and uh, she-wolf, in Italian all begin with the letter L. So it's a nice alliteration. We have lonza, leone, lupa. And at least in the opinion of one critic, this alliteration refers us to the beginning of the one who is the original tempter, the one who brought uh, Adam to, uh, tempted Adam and Eve to sin, which is Lucifer. But they also are uh, images which are often tied to uh, traditional, uh, the, the traditional three um Three sins, we might say. Concupiscencia carnis, the desire of the flesh, the superbia vitae, the pride of life, and concupiscencia oculorum, the desire of the eyes. These three creatures, and the critical heritage on this is not absolutely uh, uh, solidified on, or, or in agreement about which creature necessarily represents which of these. But we at least take it for granted that these three beasts, wild beasts, uh, represent in some way that uh, fallenness which prevents the human person from ascending farther, uh, from making the ascent. Um, The darkness of the wood in the description, the Selva Oscura, this, Uh, she-wolf pushes Dante back into where the sun is silent. This darkness is a hallmark for Dante, as it is for St. Thomas Aquinas, of uh, a descent into sin, a descent into uh, a darkness which is imposed by free decisions which make us, in a way, blind to what our true nature is. Uh, these free decisions which which darken our sight, darken our nature and um, obscure our sight so that we cannot see, we cannot move forward. And what the, the whole of the inferno is caught in this lack of light. There's a, there's a darkness there, which I mentioned before, which uh, is unbreakable. It's um, There is also a consequent lack of sight There is also a lack of movement if we look at um, The very the very pit of the inferno there is lucifer caught trapped this uh, Mightiest of creatures of god's creatures is caught in a trap of his own making He is in packed in ice, as it were, of his his own making. And this is emblematic of all of the souls in Inferno. So from the first, Virgil informs Dante that this is a a journey, a journey from darkness into light, a journey from uh, sin into virtue. A journey uh, leading from the dark wood to the dense green wood. The this is certainly an allegorical journey, an allegorical journey that in- includes the political and cultural commentary which we find in in um, in the Commedia, the and we're we're not denying that Dante is also. Is not simply commenting on, not simply making an an epic of ima- an imagined journey through hell, purgatorio, and heaven, but he is also commenting on his own day. And um, and it's a uh, it's a commentary that's that's filled with such examples. We might think of um, Saint Clement V and Boniface the Eighth. Boniface the especially, who seems to be the uh, particular um, <laughs> the particular butt of of punishment in uh, in the Inferno, he's not yet dead in thirteen hundred, which is when the um, when the poem is set, but he has a place waiting for him <laughs> in Canto nineteen of the Inferno. He has a place waiting for him in the eighth circle in the, uh, what are called the wicked pockets. There are these sort of ditches in which different varieties of, of sinners that involve fraud are, are kept. And he's kept, he has a, a place waiting for him in the third of these, which is for uh, simony, for uh, uh, selling church offices, for selling holy things. And the punishment of course is is being placed head first into the ground with your feet burning as they're upright. So all Dante uh, sees of the particular soul that's speaking to him are the the feet, the burning feet above ground and he hears the voice underneath speaking to him. Uh, Another image of an upside down world where one cares much more about the material than the spiritual. It's uh, another one of Dante's fitting punishments for, for sin. Uh, and in this case involves, again, uh, as many of the punishments do, a loss of sight, a loss of, of appreciation for, for what's necessary. But even though we do have these kind of political statements and uh, there are certainly other kinds of political statements that he makes throughout the, the Inferno and also the Purgatorio. It is above all a work of enticement to sanctification. The the work ends in the Paradiso, after all, which is meant to to draw us to the that heavenly place where our our hearts are meant to go. Um. Dante begins this journey, of course, with the allegory of human misery, and I'm indebted to uh, Professor Corbett for mentioning that uh, what Dante sees here in the Inferno is the human condition, uh, the misery of the human condition, even in his own day. He uh, he sees there the, the the fallenness. What is the fallen world and in the Inferno, we have the, the ultimate consequence of turning one's vision to the earthly, to and the whole subterranean quality of Inferno is meant to reflect this, the darkness of it, that one turns one's gaze not upwards to God, but rather downwards to, uh, to the earth. At one stage, one of the one of the souls, um, the closest he comes to looking upwards is to make the fig at God, which is basically their middle finger in uh, in the Middle Ages. Okay, so um, so we see here a kind of of uh, their 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 vision is swallowed into uh, into the, the earth. And earthly things. Well, Dante has come through that, seen all of that, that condition. He looks in Purgatorio upwards, and he starts turning, uh, far from turning to the left all the time. Starts turning to the right and making his ascent. Starts making his ascent with Virgil as his guide through the different vices, these different stages of the vices and those virtues attached to them. In this, he presents to us something which he has very much in common with St. Thomas Aquinas. For Aquinas, as, uh, as Professor Corbett was saying, for Aquinas, the will and the intellect are made for two of the great, what we call transcendentals, those, uh, those uh, aspects of existence. They, they go together with, with being itself. They, they are inseparable from being itself. Those aspects of existence, which are general to all existent things, the true and the good. We, to uh, paraphrase Augustine, um, whom uh, Aquinas and Dante are both drawing on here, uh, we are made for God. Our hearts are made for God and and are restless until they rest in him. How is that? We are made with an intellect which appreciates the truth, which encounters, has that truth impress itself on our intellect, as, as uh, Professor Corbett was saying. And we are able to, we, we are fitted with an, a capability. We are created with the capability to be able to take this in with our intellect and our senses. We are able to have that whole of reality Impinge Not only impinge on our senses, but in something that St. Thomas Aquinas would call the common sense, we're able to take that common experience and then through the intellect extrapolate from that and to be able to recognize the universal from the particular. This is the capability that, that is built within us. St. Thomas calls the will the intellectual appetite, the intellectual appetite. And he means by that to say that when we see the good, then it's natural for us, when we see the true, it's natural for us to desire it. It's natural for us to want to take it in, as it were. And when it becomes an object of our desire, our intellectual appetite, we are drawn to it. And so with our senses, we apprehend a good, our intellect judges whether or not this is a a good that is apposite for us, that is, is meant for us at this time and at this place, which is the office of prudence, and then... We, uh, and then in that dialogue between intellect and will, we craft a way in which we might move and actually bring this good to ourselves or work towards that good. In Dante, this is shown, first of all, in... um, the virtues which he opposes to all of the different vices within uh, the the purgatorial. So, um, and that's seen as I said before with the the um, the 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 goad we might say at the very beginning of each of the uh, each of the levels of purgatory. We always begin with the Blessed Virgin Mary. So in that that first level of purgatory, I mentioned those those friezes, the, the, uh, sculpt, the, the sculpted friezes on the on the wall of that first level. Those which showed the annunciation, Our Lady's humility at the moment of the annunciation, uh, that moment of, of Trajan's humility, when he agrees to, to judge in favor of um, judge in favor of, of the widow. And, um, uh, and so in each of these examples of humility, we are meant to see that the draw of the good, the attraction of the good, that it attracts our will so that we might then uh, decide to work for that good. How we acquire virtues in Saint. Thomas Aquinas is the same way that we acquire virtues that same way that Dante sees that we acquire virtue. It's first of all, recognizing the truth of the human condition, that truth which accords best with the human condition. And then making, uh, and then making the decision to act in accordance with it. Um, In this case, with humility, we're not talking about a a complete abasement, a a kind of, of denigration of human dignity. What we're talking about with humility is the acknowledgement and recognition of where we stand before Almighty God, where our position is before Almighty God. And if we can recognize our smallness in the sight of God, the um, Dr. Corbett mentioned worms. (laughs) Um, I am but a little worm. Uh, But not to denigrate ourselves, but to simply accept that truth that we are small in the sight of God And, um, and to receive and accept his will over our own. It's then that we are enabled to to act, to act and do the humble thing. Oftentimes, I think when people think about acquiring a virtue, they think that they need to have that virtue whole and complete, right immediately, right now. Perhaps the uh, the the best example of this is uh, the example of of unforgiveness. Um, you've ever had somebody that you've, you've desired to forgive, but you find that you, you have no feeling for this person. This person has betrayed your trust. They've done something wicked and something evil to you. And um, you say, I, I can't possibly forgive him or her because I can't summon the feeling of forgiveness. For St. Thomas, as, as I do believe it was for also for, for Dante, it's not so much the feeling, but the act, the act of the will, which is important here, the movement and the act of the will. So to be able to say to somebody, I forgive you, and to treat them as though it never happened is to start to acquire the virtue of forgiveness. That does not deny that we might not have the best feelings towards this individual later on. The best way of acquiring the virtue then is not simply to see it as as something that comes to you wholly packaged, nice, clean, and full all at once, but rather as something that's acquired through action, through performing the acts of the virtue, willing those acts. Feeling, or passions as we might call them, are, can be very great encouragements to those kinds of actions. We all know how easy it is to be charitable to somebody who's, whom we love quite naturally. It's, it's incredibly easy to show uh, ordinary charity to that person. It's a far more difficult thing to try to offer love or charity to, um, to someone that we, uh, someone that, 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 uh, that we, we dislike, someone that we might even hate. Um, for each of these vices then there is a corresponding virtue that Dante is showing, um, that that Dante is showing corresponds to each each vice, this virtue corresponds to each vice that helps to turn the individual from the vice to a life of virtue. The vice after all is an absence of the good. The virtue, uh, the corresponding virtue turns someone to be able to acknowledge the truth, the truth of the human person, and to not only desire it, but also to pursue it by performing the action, an action which is consequent with a, uh, uh, is in conformity with the the virtue. The, in, the, uh, in each of these stages of the purgatorial, um, for uh, envy, for example, the, the eyes of the souls are, are shut with, uh, with wire. We have uh, souls acknowledging the excellence of other souls within that level. They've already begun to act with mercy and thus have already begun uh, their um, purgation of sin. That mercy, which they failed to show in life, they're now showing in the afterlife. And Dante is consequently showing to us the remedy for the sin is is the consequent virtue. Uh, For sloth, we have, of course, the running crowd they're all running down the uh, down the track, and um, that zeal is necessary there. Uh, the actions of magnanimity, rather than uh, rather than avarice, are necessary in uh, in the fifth terrace. In the sixth terrace, the the, the, the souls there are emaciated. They are hungering. And they must pass a, a tree of fragrant fruits and uh, another tree which is called the sapling of the tree of good and evil. It was after all hunger that drove uh, Eve. She looked at the fruit and saw that it was good to eat and Adam also looked at the fruit and saw that it was good to eat. It was after all a kind of gluttony that led them to uh, to their fall. Finally in Uh, In the seventh terrace, in that terrace of of lust, we see individuals walking through fire and in that fire, the fire of their passions, the the fact that they could not keep their passions in control is burning uh, is uh, burning them and they are uh, are being purified by fire, as it were. And each of the uh, each of the the souls that accompany uh, Dante, there's Dante, Virgil, and Statius at this time. Statius, um, Statius has been joining them since the the fifth terrace of avarice, and uh, the uh, the poet Statius, Latin poet Statius. This um, encounter, this encounter with a uh, with the the fire burns them clean as it were dante uh, Dante has to be encouraged by Virgil to make it through the uh that last uh that last kind of uh, flaming fire to burn out the uh the the rest of uh, of the sins within him moving through that fire we see dante now at uh, at the step where uh, I, that I first narrated to you. That moment when uh, Virgil tells him that he crowns and miters him as master over himself. Uh, uh, Dante believed in a, sep- a radical separation of the two powers, the secular power and the religious power. Um, he wrote a book, De Monarchia, in which he detailed this, which was, by the way, in the 19th century, on the index of forbidden books, <laughs> okay? So, um, I don't mean to scandalize you there, but just to let you know, uh, that's why he uses both those those images, uh, that in secular life, as well as in uh, the life of faith, um, Dante is now crowned and mitered. He is, we might say, his own master. Well, fine, He's he has come through these virtues to counteract the different powers of the vices, the not powers, but the absence of, of the good, of the vices. He has been purged of these things. And we might very well think, he's done. You know, uh, poke me with a fork, I'm done. I'm, I'm finished. Uh, I, have been re- I am now the recreated person. Great. However, we have a whole uh, paradiso after Purgatorio, and he's not even finished the Purgatorio yet because he hasn't gotten through the earthly paradise. The two things of the earthly paradise that he still has yet to go through are the, the two rivers, Lethe and Eunoe. And before he even does those, he has to first encounter Beatrice. This is all foreshadowed, of course, in the, in the Purgatory because um, along with the uh, all these different terraces, there's another organizational principle going on in the Purgatorio, a series of nines. Um, they, uh, the Purgatorio begins with the ante Purgatory, which goes till the ninth terrace, or the ninth, sorry, the ninth canto. And in the ninth canto, Dante, uh, Just before the ninth canto, Dante falls asleep, and at the very beginning of the ninth ninth canto, he's brought to the gate of purgatory. In that sleep, he has a vision of an eagle bringing him to the step of purgatory. It turns out that he has indeed been brought by an eagle, an eagle of one of the saints, Lucy, who has brought him there to uh, to the gate. In canto 18, he falls asleep again and has a a nightmare, uh, a nightmare of a, of a, a seductive woman coming to him and tempting him, which is beaten back by Virgil himself. And then in the 27th canto, Dante falls asleep yet a third time. Each of these nines is a preparation for his next guide, Beatrice. Beatrice is, uh, was, of course, a, a very real person that he met. Beatrice, the, um, who he met when he was nine years old and had this fascination with her, not a fascination, a love, of uh, really a love at first sight from that very moment. And so we have this foreshadowed by these three nines, three sets of nines leading up to his eventual encounter with Beatrice. Dante, as a poet, also belongs to, as I said before, that um, Dolce Stil Novo series of poets. These poets who like to use love as an allegory that uh, uh, just... Ordinary earthly love is an allegory for, uh, for divine love. And it's, uh, as uh, Dr. Corbett was saying, it's it's the same here. It's the same here, that here with Beatrice, we have that divine love, which presents itself as both uh, the beauty and the, the uh, goodness of the truth. She, on that step, just before he he is to enter these waters of forgetfulness, forgetfulness of of evil, she um, really runs Dante through the ringer. she, She examines him. And she asks him, why? Why did you abandon me? after I died. Now, she she died quite young. And Dante, of course, was, was bereft for a while. But then she says, then you chased after other things. Then you chased after uh, different things. Why did you do that? Dante, of course, is absolutely heartbroken. And she says, you must make this confession. He's already come to the very uh, step of... Uh, of the, uh, you know, the very border of the earthly paradise. And we thought that, that Virgil had crowned and mitered him over himself. Why does he need to go through this yet again? He needs to renounce his distraction, his blindness. He needs to renounce the fact that he has looked to other goods rather than the heavenly goods, which Beatrice represents. He needs to renounce these things in order to be purified completely. He needs to make his confession to be absolutely pure in order to enter into um, not just an earthly happiness, because we know that's that's the the earthly happiness that Virgil has in, in Limbo, that the other souls in limbo have a purely natural happiness he is called to something far greater he is called to something much higher he is called beyond the um the earthly paradise to enter into heaven itself this is an invitation not simply to the good life as understood by uh, by pagan philosophers, the, these uh, smaller virtues which counteract these vices in Purgatorio, this is an invitation to nothing less than union with God. When we talk about union of God, we, union with God, we mean sanctification. to become holy, to become set apart, which is what holiness means, set apart for God alone. Sanctification. In Dante's admission, he fulfills what was symbolized at the very gate of purgatory, these three steps uh, representing the different aspects, the different actions of penance, uh, contrition, confession, absolution. And entering into the, uh, the river Lethe, he forgets all of his, all the, those evil actions and then entering, also likewise, at the very end of the Purgatorio, the very end of Canto 33, he enters into Eunoë, which uh, helps him to remember, to reconstitute his memories of all of the all of the good that he has done, so that he is now able to enter into a supernatural order and relationship. A supernatural relationship in which he is not merely a kind of passive recipient, but he uh, he is invited to a relationship of union with Almighty God. This is a journey of grace. Uh, the The Paradiso is is full of grace. It has to be full of grace because this is a journey that no human person can make. Uh, all on their own, and as a matter of fact, the whole of the the, the rest of the, the Commedia makes that point. Even for for acquiring ordinary virtues, um, it is a journey of grace for Dante. Is it is grace after all that sends Virgil down to be able to to take him on on this journey of the different uh, observing the different virtue, vices and then and then uh, counteracting those vices with virtue. This involves not just the the cardinal virtues, which are mentioned by pagan philosophers, but the cardinal virtues as transformed and baptized in the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit comes to transform. And this is is part of Aquinas' own doctrine about the... the the cardinal virtues, that in baptism, these cardinal virtues are amplified, amplified by divine power so that they might be able to help us to carry them out for a new end. The cardinal virtues were meant in the works of Cicero and Aristotle for uh, the perfection of of the Roman or Greek citizen. They were meant to make a a, a good person out of of us as an end in itself. But for Aquinas and for Dante, these virtues which are extolled in the kingdom of heaven, um, the three theological virtues and the, the four cardinal virtues, these cardinal virtues now lead us to God, to union with God so that we have not just an earthly prudence, but a heavenly prudence, a heavenly prudence which might actually make us to decide that it's best for us to forego a, a certain earthly pleasure for our salvation. Um, so it's in, in light of uh, in light of these, and also, of course, the The theological virtues, faith, hope, and love, which are distinctly uh, Christian virtues. These theological virtues, called theological, because they join us directly to God. The charity, helping us uh, to appreciate God as love. Uh, Faith, enlightening our intellect so that we can assent to uh, to the truths of the faith. That we can know them and assent to them. Hope, which helps to draw us from the um, the the uh, arduous uh, nature of our lives to that arduous good, which is the kingdom of heaven. So, they the whole of the structure of the of the Commedia draws us into that. Life of sanctification by means of the virtues, and it's the the virtues that that provide those, um, the prudence, uh, prudence, justice, te- uh, fortitude, and temperance, the cardinal virtues, and then faith, hope, and charity, the theological virtues. That help us in that in that uh, that journey of sanctification of our lives to allow us to to uh, become united with God. In addition, but there's more, as they say in the in the ads on television, but there's more. Um, These things should lead us to a contemplation of God, a union of ourselves, of our whole selves to God. And a foreshadowing of this union is, of course, the the gift of contemplation, which is something that Thomas meditates on at the uh, at the end of um, at the end of the secundus secundae pars of his Summa. For us as as human persons, we are meant to contemplate, and this is one of the reasons why Dante's final guide as Bernard of Clairvaux, to contemplate God, to contemplate the mystical rose, uh, the the gathering of the saints in the Empyrean, right? And to be united with with Almighty God and the contemplation of truth and of those other uh, aspects of existence which are common to all existent things, truth, goodness, and beauty to be united with those is our object so throughout the throughout the uh, the whole of the Commedia, we see a movement from vice to virtue to contemplation uh, the sight of god and illumination an illumination running from the dark woods to the green wood to the light of existence itself This is the invitation which Dante makes to us and not Dante alone, but his master, St. Thomas Aquinas, likewise makes to us. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks for listening to this lecture on the Thomistic Institute podcast. The generosity of people like you makes this podcast possible. If you enjoy these talks,